We are in Exodus chapter 10. You have an outline there that deals with the first or um, chapters 5 through 12. Verses 5 through 11 uh, are what I have entitled the confrontation. Chapter 12 is the preparation. Uh, and you'll see how they both play together, especially the conclusion of 11, 10, 11, um, and 12 all tie together um, in a Hebrew way of writing. And we're looking at first God confronting Moses and Aaron and then confronting the nation of Israel and then confronting the Egyptians. All right, All of this has taken place. Um, and uh, we'll pick it up there in verse 1 of chapter 10. Then Yahweh says to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, and I may perform these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, that you may know that I am Yahweh. All right, so there's a purpose that is going on here. We we look at it and we've seen Pharaoh harden his heart. There was a stiff neck um, stretch that Pharaoh just says, no, I ain't going to do it. I am Pharaoh. I am the king of Egypt. Uh, I am a world leader. I am on the world stage uh, and I will not have this people mock me. And um, it's just the basic template that you see that it exercises itself on a daily basis. Anytime you turn on the news The arrogance and the pride of men, whether they be world leaders or they be Nobel Prize winners or whatever they are, we like to strut. We like to strut. And not only do we like to strut, we really, really like to encourage people to strut. We have Hall of Fames and awards and all kinds of little things that we propagate to show you how good you are. But one of the things that I want us to keep um, in mind is, is that the release of the Israelite children is going to be put into the mold that no one can get credit for it except God. I have seen this adulterated so much uh, in our societies today. Um, I guess the simplicity is this. Um, a, A person is diagnosed with cancer. They go in and they take um, radiation or chemotherapy and uh, all of a sudden the cancer is in remission and we say, look what God did. God didn't do it. Now don't get me wrong, God gives us information and science and, and stuff like that, but God didn't do it. Why? Somebody can share the glory. And when God does things, there's no sharing of the glory. Please understand that. All right. And I'm not saying, listen, the human body is an amazing vessel. If you think about it, it has the ability to um, repair itself and replicate itself. Uh, And I mean, it's an amazing creation. 
Okay, but um, I see it too many times um, uh, in the church when people will, uh, I had this conversation just this week. I said, I'm tired of the church throwing anything and everything that comes down the pike and saying, here, it's church growth that's growing and God's getting credit for it. No, you're using administrative, you're using business models to build the church. And, you know, don't get me wrong. The motive behind it can be pure. All right. But the truth of the matter is, God said, I will build my church. Uh, and, and, and you don't throw, uh, you know, it's, it's like uh, I see we are throwing so many things at church growth today that we haven't had time for the first ones to fail. And we're just, just going and going, we're going and we'll do and we no, um, you, I don't see biblically who leads the youth ministries for the apostle Paul. I don't see it. I didn't see anything for the single people's ministries. I didn't see anything for the college ministry people. I don't see anything for the divorce recovery people. Uh, I, it is, we're all one together. Uh, one of the things that I think that hurts us in America is that we, we want to surround ourselves with people who are our age. Let me tell you something. If you do that, you are doomed to repeat the mistakes of those who are older than you. Guaranteed. I try to surround myself with people who are older. So that I can listen and so that I understand that I don't want to make some of these mistakes. I will make enough mistakes as I cruise along that I don't need to do mistakes that somebody else can give me a heads up on. And, and, and I don't understand that. You know, the youth want to be with the youth. And then, uh, and the young married people want to be with the young married people. And then the middle aged want to be with the middle aged people. And the old people want to be with the old people. And the retired people want to be with the retired people. And, you know, no! The retired people should be breaking their necks to reach the youth, should be breaking their necks to reach the middle schoolers, should be striving to see what the middle aged are doing, and the middle aged should be looking at the older people so that they don't make those mistakes. And you don't see that. And you know why? I can tell you why. Same curse that's on Pharaoh it's pride. It's pride. We hate asking. For help. We hate asking for why or why not. We don't want to do that. Well, just let me cruise along and make the same silly mistakes. And, and we do it. We looked at this in verse 35 of chapter 9. Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not let the sons of Israel go just as Yahweh had spoken to Moses. But what you see has happened here. Verse 34 says, Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased. He sinned again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So now what he's managed to do is all the people that would be in his council ring are what? They're as hard-hearted as he is. And they're going along with it. And then in verse 1, you see, God says, I'm hardening it because when the humility of this nation comes down, who gets credit for it? Who gets credit for it? And he says, not only will 
I, Yahweh, get credit for it, but you will tell your sons and your grandsons how I made a mockery of the Egyptians. All right? Because we have a tendency to want to take credit for stuff. We, I see people do this on a regular basis. God works through them in a situation, and all of a sudden they think they've got it figured out. And, and, and then they want to go write a book. And I'll write a book or a Bible study or something, and you can go do this. That's dangerous. That is very dangerous. There was this great big giant. You'll see him here in a few years. And he was tormenting the nation of Israel. And is there's not somebody among the nation who will go fight this giant? And King Saul's sitting there with this big old army. He ain't going out there. And what happens? A little shepherd boy comes by. And he says, I'll go. Why? I put my faith in Yahweh. Are we not Yahweh's people? Why are we letting this person go to us? Okay. What was the king's response? Here, wear my armor. Why? Well, it's always worked for me. David puts it on and says, it don't fit. All right, so he takes it off and goes out and does it the way God has set him up to do it. Why? Who gets credit for it? God's going to. All right, you can't run around and plug everybody else's. God has each of you. This is what's so cool. Every single one of you in this room has a mission. Did you know that? There is somebody that you can reach that I have absolutely no ability to reach. You have it. And you know what? You don't need to wear my suits. You don't need to wear my ties. You don't need to talk like me. You don't need to dress like me. You don't need to wear my shoes. God has formed you into the person that he needs, that he wants for the given application, the given situation every single time. So when you're done with it, who gets credit for it? And that's what you see in all ten plagues. In all ten plagues. Moses and Aaron went up to Pharaoh and they said, Thus says Yahweh, God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Okay? He says, I want the world to know who the God of the Hebrews are. And why do you refuse why do you refuse? I will perform my mighty signs. Okay? Literally, the Hebrew term there in verse 2 is to deal harshly with. Um, it is used occasionally to make sport of. God is making sport of Egypt. How long will you refuse? That's the contrast of verse 1. You're refusing, I hardened your heart. Listen, it does not erase the personal responsibility to hear, to repent, and to submit. It doesn't. Listen, we, the weight of the seven plagues is enough to get you to hear, to repent, and to submit. And yet God still operating in His grace is a parallel along with his sovereign purposes. I am going to have this happen to the humiliation of this nation and its ruler, its um, uh, intellectual grouping, 
It's experts. Uh, I mean, I, I listen, I hear it all the time. I heard a politician the other day, and we're always telling me how great our politicians are. Okay, and I'm talking about the federal government. They, they, they're, they're, you know, these are the best and the brightest. When, you know, they always want to vote themselves a raise because, you know, to deal with the burden of the nation takes great intelligence. Okay, and I heard this politician commending us for walking on Mars. And I'm sitting there going, Mars? Mars? We have little radio-controlled cars on Mars that we're having like dune buggy races. But nobody's walked on Mars. And so I thought, well, perhaps they just made a, you know, M and moon and Mars and maybe they just kind of missed it. Nope, it was the red planet went on in their dissertation explaining how this all happened. And I'm sitting there going, well, I'm glad we got the best and the brightest. <laughs> all right, why? Because that's what they think they are. I've been elected to... Ah, never mind. All right, but I see it. And God will humiliate us. Stick a microphone in front of these people, they open their mouth and you're like, far out. <laughs> I'm glad I don't live in that state. All right. I mean, I, I don't I don't understand. I also see God's grace laying right beside it. OK, then if you look at it in verses four through six, you're going to see the extent and the intensity of what is about to be released. How long will you refuse to let my people go that they may serve me? Verse four. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow. There's that statement again. That's almost as bad as let my people go. I mean, tomorrow. Oh, great. All right. He says, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. Verse 5. They shall cover the surface of the land so that no one shall be able to see the land. You understand what that means? That's some serious crunching when you're walking. All right. I mean, it's, I had it just crunch, 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 crunch. It gets worse than that. Look at here. They shall also eat the rest of ha, that rest that has escaped. And you had the little hail problem. Okay. So they lost uh, their barley. It was gone. They were getting ready for their wheat and their rye to harvest. And now you're going to have a bunch of locusts. All right. So they're going to come. They're going to eat what's left from the hail. They will eat every tree which sprouts for you out of the field. Anything that shows anything of growth, the locusts are going to eat it. Then look at verse 6. Then your houses shall be filled, and the houses of your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians. Something which neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from this day that they came upon the earth until this day. And he turned and he went out from Pharaoh. All right. This is going to be strange. Um, drop down to verse 14. The locusts came up over the land of Egypt and they settled in the territory of Egypt where they were very numerous. There may be an understatement of Scripture. <clears throat> there had never been so many locusts, nor would there ever be again. They covered the surface of the whole land, 
For the land was darkened, and they ate every plant of the land and all the fruits of the tree that the hail had left. Thus nothing green was left on the tree or the plant, the field in the land of Egypt. So it happened. It happened. There was a great fear. You know what? There, um, in Egypt, there was a god of the locusts. Did you know that? And they prayed for, for him. They, they prayed that he would uh, ensure the safety of their crops. Okay? If you go back through what you've been through into the eighth plagues to date, you will see that God has messed with every one of their stinking gods. Every god that they've got, he's messed with. Okay, he ain't done yet either, by the way. He basically is humiliating their gods. There's nothing green, verse 15 said. Nothing green. Think about that. There's nothing green. I mean, you've already had the little hail incident. All right? And that just beat the tar out of all of your harvest. All right? What was left over now the locusts have gotten. Verse 7. Pharaoh's servants said to him, all right, Pharaoh's servants, remember, these are the ones in verse 35, or in verse 34 of 9 said, we're going to go, we're backing Pharaoh on this. Pharaoh's got this figured out. They say to him, how long will this man be a snare to us? Uh, Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron are a pain. How long? Let the men go. Now, here's, here's their counsel. Let the men go that they may serve Yahweh their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is destroyed? I mean, we're losing everything here, Pharaoh. We, we, you know, we, we may want to fix it. So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh went out and got, brought them back. And he said to them, go and serve Yahweh your God. Who are the ones who are going? Okay, how many people are going to go? Who's going to go with you? Just get this thing done and get back. Basically, is what he's doing. Moses said, we shall go with our young and our old, our sons, our daughters, with our flocks, our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to Yahweh. Then he said to them, thus may Yahweh be with you. Okay, who said that? Pharaoh said it. May Yahweh be with you if ever I let you go. And your little ones go? Take heed, for evil is in your mind. You think you're going to sneak out of here. You ain't sneaking out of here. You'd better hope, Moses, that Yahweh is with you. Because you ain't getting out of here. See, Pharaoh was refusing to even acknowledge the desperate situation that his country was in. I see that on a regular basis I, with, with politicians. All right? They refuse to acknowledge it. And now Pharaoh is missing who is confronting him. The God of the Hebrews. The God of the Hebrews, one God, is systematically destroying and humiliating all of the gods of the Egyptians. He's just going right down the track. Boom. One right after the other. One right after the other. 
So Moses and Aaron were brought back and they said, I can't do this. And he says, we want to take everybody and go with us. Verse 10 says, you'd better hope Yahweh is with you. Now he's starting to get ticked off about it. I mean, this is the eighth plague. Not so. Go now, the men among you, and serve Yahweh. That is your desire. So they're driven out from Pharaoh's presence. All right. They were, he run them off. All right. Only the men can go. We'll make a deal here. We'll parlay. All right. Here's the deal. The men can go. Why? If I have the kids and the women and the livestock, guess what? The men have come back. Then Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts. <clears throat> that they may come up on the land of Egypt and eat everything. And this is where it all begins. He says, here's the overview. Here's how it looks. He stretched out his hand. And we've already read it in verses 14 and 15. Okay. Then in verse 16, Pharaoh hurriedly called Moses. <laughs> Hastily called Moses. Quick, somebody get Moses. Okay. And you got to think about it. If the ground was covered and now your houses are covered... I, yuck okay let alone the economic disaster then look what he says in verse 16 I have sinned against Yahweh your God and against you okay what is he saying here he's angrily he's dismissed Moses, then it's come upon him, and now what the hell hadn't destroyed is gone. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Verse 17, now therefore, please forgive my sin only this once. And make supplication. Can you do me a favor? I need you to pray. Say, you know, I've had people offer me money to pray for them. Say a prayer for me. And, and you know, and it's funny because they get they get shocked. I said, well, "Anything in particular you'd like me to ask for?" I mean, you, I, well, I don't know. I, I've never, you know. Usually, if I ask people to pray for me, I have sort of something in mind. All right, pray for me. What you know, the Lord goes before me, and I'm protected from evil men. And the message goes forth with the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, something. You know, somebody says, pray for me. Well, something in particular? I mean, you want me to pray to God, turn you into an avocado? Um, what? I know. What do you want me to pray? pray for? I'm not quite that. Make supplications to Yahweh your God that he would only remove this death from me. You're destroying my country. Everything's coming apart. As pray. Pray this death, this deadly plague. Okay? The... The severity of Egypt's condition is starting to become aware to him. Listen, if you lost all your crops uh, within two, three months' time, um, you're going to start paying attention. Verse 18, he went out from Pharaoh, made supplications to Yahweh. Verse 19, and so Yahweh shifted the wind and he blew the bugs away. (laughs) I mean, basically, that's what happened. I know that was paraphrasing of the statement. Let me read it to you. So that the Lord shifted the winds to a very strong west wind, which took up the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not one locust was left in all the territory of Egypt. 
All right? Blew them out of the country. None remained. Why? That is how powerful Yahweh is. Look at verse 20. But Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart and did not let the sons of Israel go. Why? I'm going to humiliate you. Okay? Verse 21 and 22 is going to be the description of the ninth plague. Yahweh says to Moses, stretch out your hand toward... Now, this is good because he doesn't go and tell Pharaoh that it's not getting any better. Yahweh says to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which can be felt. And that's an interesting phrase. It means it is so dark that nothing of light exists except in the household of the Egyptians. Okay, that's what it means to be felt. That means you can put a candle and light a candle or an oil lamp and it ain't going to give you no light. Yeah, we're talking dark. We're, We're talking worse than not paying your electric bill. Okay? Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. Three days. Okay? Listen, how dark was it? Thought you'd never ask. They did not see one another. Okay, have you ever been to the Cave of the Winds down in Colorado Springs? They got the one little place you go back in the corner. They used to do this. I don't know if they still do it. They walk you back in there and they say, we're going to turn the lights off. I'm going to show you how dark it is. And they turn the lights off and they say, now hold your hand up in front of your face. And you hold your hand up in front of your face. And you say, can you see your hand? And you can't see your hand and, and, and everything. And you're just sitting there going, wow, that's kind of weird. And then they turn the lights on and you got all these grown adults standing there with their hands up by their nose. <laughs> So I was in a snowstorm one time with black mittens on. Snowstorm, daylight, held my hand out this way and could not see my black mitten. Okay. Hey. But it wasn't darkness. It was just wind. It was blowing locusts off of Mount Long's Peak. Um, where was I? Okay. <clears throat> they could not see one another, nor did anyone rise from their place for three days. You can't get out. You can't leave your house. You can't see anything. Okay? But all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. Okay? So that's that discriminatory work of the Lord. All right? It is so dark, you can't get out and get about. Three days. All right? That's just, yeah. You know, and I've heard people say, well, you know, they have these horrible sandstorms. And you know what? They do have horrible sandstorms. And perhaps this is a horrible sandstorm, mm-hmm, unless you're Jewish, because you have light in your house and everybody else doesn't. What was it? It was darkness. What kind of darkness? Black darkness. Okay. And, and I listen to all the excuses. It's like, I, you know, well, when they crossed the Red Sea, it was actually a sea of reeds and it was just a shallow body of water. Great. That means God drowned everybody in a puddle however you cut that thing it's still a miracle but but we have it in our minds well it was just a sandstorm that just blew through the Egyptians house 
But you see what I'm trying to get at? We, we try to, no, God says when I get done with this, we're not going to be sitting there going, well, wonder what that was. Okay? Because, you know, well, we think historically it could have been an eclipse. Three days. That's a serious eclipse. And why didn't an eclipse on the Israelites' house? All right? We always try, you know, it is just God saying, I'm driving the bus. And I'll do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it. And when I get done, you're going to say, well, that was God. It was supernatural. It was a darkness. It was a darkness that that would challenge the faithfulness of the God, Ra. Ra was the sun god. And they would all been, they couldn't even make offerings to Ra. I can't find the temple. See, Ra provided warmth, growth. You couldn't even go worshiping. You couldn't get out of your house. And God says, no, it's, you're missing it. Verse 24, Pharaoh called Moses. <laughs> Moses, go serve Yahweh. Only let your flocks and your herds be detained. Even your little ones can go with you now. You can take your women and your kids and just leave your livestock here. Moses said, you must also let us have the sacrifices and burnt offerings. And we may sacrifice them to Yahweh our God. Therefore, our livestock two will go with us not a hoof will be left behind for we shall take some of them to serve Yahweh our God and until we arrive there we ourselves do not know with what we will serve Yahweh verse 27 see this is that one That phrase right there, um, you may go and you can take your families with you, leave your livestock. That's what I call partial obedience. Okay? All right. It's just sort of. Verse 27 says, Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart. He wouldn't let him go. Pharaoh said to him, Now watch what happens. Now I want you to watch what happens. Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Beware. Do not see my face again. For in that day you see my face, you shall die. Okay, what is this? This is a death threat. Pharaoh saying, Moses, next time I see you, You are a dead man. And Moses said, you're right. I shall never see your face again. All right. See, negotiations are over now. You've been confronted nine times by Yahweh. He's embarrassed every one of your gods. He's embarrassed your wise men. He's embarrassed your magicians. He has shown you that he has power over the weather. He has power over sunlight and darkness. He has power over the bugs. He has power over everything. And your conclusion is, I'll kill Moses. 
brilliant. Now, it's kind of neat because Pharaoh does summon Moses one more time. Verse 31 of chapter 12, and I call it the unconditional surrender meeting. All right? You'll never see your face. Now, I want to watch, watch what happens because Pharaoh has placed a death threat on Moses. In God's confrontation now, God puts a death threat on up until this time, he's not killed a human. He made him sore. The boiled things, I'm sure, are sores. Okay? But because of his death threat, he reciprocates. Verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 1. Now Yahweh says to Moses, one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out completely. Okay? It, basically, what you have in verses one through three is what I call a parenthetical statement. Okay, it's a it's a bracketed statement, and God is had already said to Moses. See, he, Moses already got some instruction happen. Three days, Moses gets some instruction. You will see it delineated to you in chapter twelve. All right, and I'll show you why this happens. Okay, but he's already given him that three days of darkness. Moses and God have already talked. They're in that three days. He's already getting ready, and there has been some divine instructions. Look over chapter 12, verse 35. Now, the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. All right, they had already been told, go get the stuff from the Egyptians. Okay, now back up to 11 and you will see what's going on. One more plague I will bring to Pharaoh and after that they will make you out of here completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that each man asked from his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor for articles of silver and gold. All right, they've already done it. Okay, we're just getting told about it. And Yahweh gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. All right, so there was already something there. There was already divine intervention going on, divine planning going on. Verses 4 through 8, we see the response to Pharaoh's threat to Moses. Verse 4, Moses said, Thus says Yahweh, about midnight, I am going out into the midst of Egypt. All the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in the land of Egypt, such as not, such as there has not been before and such as there shall never be again. But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog shall not even bark. There will not be a whimper come out of Israel, not even a barking dog. Whether against man or beast, and you shall make, and you may understand how Yahweh makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these your servants will come down to me and bow themselves before me, saying, Go out, you and all your people, 
all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. All right, Moses says, you know what? This is the response, Pharaoh. See, there is a death threat from Pharaoh to Moses. Now there's a death threat from God. Okay. Verse 4 says it's about midnight. Not specific, about midnight. I'm going to go out. It took place either the same day um, uh, that there was the final confrontation uh, or just shortly thereafter when Moses or when Pharaoh said, go away from me. If I see you again, you'll die. It'd be right, right around that same time. Okay, the instructions for Passover that you'll see in chapter 12, verses 1 through 20, were not, if they weren't given in the days of darkness, then there has to be four days uh, would be required to take care of this. Why? Because that's what it says. Look at verse 3, chapter 12. On the 10th of this month, they are to take one of the lamb themselves according to the father's household, a lamb in each hole. All right, then if you cruise on over to verse 6, you'll see, and you shall keep it to the 14th day of the same month. Why? Because he's setting up the new year form. This is going to be your new year celebration. And you're going to have a lamb that's going to come and live in your house for four days. So I, most people believe that this instruction was being given during the three days of darkness and is being passed around by the nation of Israel so that when God slayed, prepared to slay, uh, they had already had their lambs chosen. The smaller houses were gathered with larger houses and they were all prepared to take the lamb four days, lives in the house, cut the lamb's throat, bleed it, put blood over the doorpost, and God passed by. Because the instructions for Passover is 1 through 20. Okay? And then Moses says, I will go out. God in all the plagues, He Himself will march through the land. I will. You see it. You're going to see it through the Passover instruction. Chapter 12, verse 12 and 13. I will. I will. Chapter 11, verse 5. And all the firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstone, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Firstborn, important position in the family. Okay, see, in ancient times, firstborn always got double portion, double portion of the inheritance. That was the strength of the family. As you see it all the way back in Genesis 49. Egypt's firstborn were the ascent to the throne. It was non-negotiable. Religiously, they had already been slit, stripped by all the plagues. All their gods had been humiliated. And now God was going to execute the firstborn, including the animals. Okay, verse 6, it's drastic. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in the land of Egypt. This cry is going to be so loud, it's going to be unique in Egypt's history. And it'll never be noted again. All right? And yet it's still God's mercy. He's saying this is coming. Verse 7, against, But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog shall not even bark. Okay? The Egyptian territory and the Israelite territory. 
And there will, there will be this great wailing, this great crying coming out of the Egyptian territory, and you're not even going to get a dog to bark in the Israelite territory. Lord has made a sharp distinction between these two people because he wants to make sure that none would be blind to what he did. All of these, your servants will come down to me and bow themselves before me saying, go out you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then Yahweh said to Moses, verse nine, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all the wonders before Pharaoh, yet the Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go from the land. Here's the key to the text. Ten plagues. Horrific. I mean, any given one would be awful. Okay? But the counsel of man and the arrogance of man says we can overcome it. And God says, here's how I'm going to do this. I'm going to escalate this thing to the point that when it's all said and done, everybody's going to say, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, did this. Okay? If you're truly honest with yourself and you look through history from the release of the Israelites from captivity, never has Egypt been a player on the world scene. They've had little things here. Uh, that they've, they've done. But for the most part, they've never been a world power. They've never, ever, they never, ever recovered from the 10 plague onslaught that God threw at them. God confronted them. And yet through all 10, he was merciful. All you have to do is let the people go. And they refused. They refused. And yet God doesn't show the glory. And he gets to the point. He gets to the point where his anger is such. God's anger is such that I'll harden your heart. You know what? I I see that in the chapter one of Romans beginning in verse 18. Um, what can be known about God is seen and is readily available. You can look around and say, this can't be an accident. Okay. But what happens to man is that God will give them over. Uh, we think that this sin will make us happier or this pleasure will make us happier. And this thing here will make us happier. Or this will make us happier. And he keeps giving them over, giving them over, giving them over. But then you look at the conclusion. I mean, man, will start worshiping creature rather than creator okay we do that i see people who worship motorcycles and cars and women and men and houses and money and jobs and vacations i see that all over the place but he gives them over to the last thing it's called a depraved mind and the word depraved means found useless for its intended purpose you know what that means You can't come back. You're done. You're done. It's the Hebrew 6 text that says once you have tasted, once you've seen it, once you've been a part, once you've seen what God does and you walk away, 
there no longer remains a sacrifice for your sins again. You know what that is, right? You're done. Grace has left the building. You're done. You watch it here in the ten plagues. God's grace, God's mercy, God's surety. And you see the culmination. You know, I watch people say, well, but God kept hardening his heart. Nope. When his counselors hardened their hearts, Pharaoh was done. Because you know what? Every single one of you in this room seek counsel from some somebody or somebodies. And if that counsel is against God, what will your conclusion be? It's going to be against God. And you will continue down the path until you cannot come back. God laid that out early. He says, this is how it plays. Yes, yes, yes. I understand that chapter 12 is a picture of the cross. Absolutely, I understand that. You know why the picture of the cross shows up there? Because every one of us has the same nature that Pharaoh has. And it takes blood over the doorpost of a lamb to get any of us to see it. That's why. That's why. This is awesome stuff. But you know what? It just don't fit the movie, does it? But that's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your book. Thank you for, Lord, showing us our brother Moses uh, and Aaron um, and, and your provision, how you care for us. Lord, uh, you overwhelm me with this. And I think about um, your patient pleading to the Egyptians, patient pleading to Pharaoh, his counselors, Father, his magicians, uh, your steadfastness, uh, and yet, Lord, uh, you showing your holiness uh, and stark reality to man's wickedness. Father, thank you for this text. Father, may we understand this is historical truth. This is not a story. Father, this is you working. This is you working in such magnificent ways that all people see that you mocked their gods and you mocked their abilities. You mocked everything that they had. You showed as folly. Father, may we know that. May we know that. And we rest in the assurances that you will complete in us that you have called us to. In Christ's name, amen.